Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family, and welcome to episode 10 of season five of This Spiritual Fix. Today is part two of three of our place series where I will be talking about feng shui in your house. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. It's so nice to be recording again. (laughs) I know. And the last time I saw you was in a non-TSF related thing. You had a surprise party for your 40th birthday. I did. It was amazing. And it was such a big birthday. I think I mentioned it when we had like a previous episode with Robbie that I finally became older than my mom ever was. And and I love it. I fucking love my 40s. I've been sick basically the entire time of my 40s, but I still love my 40s a lot. (laughs) I'm really happy to be 40. It's great. I'm still living off of that. It was so fun to see you. We all hid behind the bush in your front yard and your husband took you outside and we said boo and it was was, happy birthday it was so adorable and it was it was just so wonderful I was jet lag as fuck because I just got back from the UK from a business trip but it was so nice that everyone came out and got me an amazing tablet like you have had and I've been I've been literally what how long has it been since I've been I've been wanting that thing or like coveting it's, it. It's it's the remarkable and no, we're not endorsed in any way, but I love my remarkable and we surprised you with one and I love it. It's great if you, if you journal and if you have multiple schedules and files that you need to keep track of. Yeah. And it's addictive because of the texture and the way that it makes my handwriting look good, even though it's not that good, but mostly <laughs> yeah, it was the y'all's. Calligraphy pen. Right. But mostly it was y'all's. I mean, like it was obviously y'all's presence was amazing. It was really nice. So that was, that was lovely to have that. And the crazy thing, can I just say, this is a little bit interesting is that I've had so many interesting shifts since I turned 40. My, a woman who was very good friends with my mother, I think who dated my mother after she broke up with my father contacted me like two or three days ago and was like, Hey, I just found you. Let's talk. And I talked to her last night and like, actually like reconnected with her and it was just it was crazy it was I don't know there's there's shifts that are happening that I'm in my 40s it's revealing a whole new level of 
shadow work. <laughs> no, not really, but yeah. Well, that's great. Well, today we're doing a prelude. And if you're new to the show, we usually talk about a related but unrelated topic before we get into our main topic. So today, Christina is doing an episode on feng shui. And I did one a couple weeks ago about keeping your cleaning. space cleaning, keeping your space tidy and organized. So she's doing one on feng shui. And then I will follow up with an episode on sacred places. So we're kind of just going all around the place with this. We're going all around the place with the places. So yeah. So what do you got for us, Anna? What are we talking about in our prelude? So for our prelude today, we're going to be talking about a phenomenon called the Mandela effect, which some people may or may not be aware of. The Mandela effect was coined by a woman named Fiona Brome in 2009 because she discovered, along with a lot of other people, that she had very clear memories that Nelson Mandela had died in the 1980s when he was in prison. However, he didn't die in the 1980s in prison. He passed away in 2013. And she started to talk to people and find out that not only the Mandela situation, but many other people shared memories of things that didn't happen. And she started to wonder, could this be a glitch in the matrix? Or is this proof of a parallel universe that we are now on a different vector? Like if you think about, you know, if you think about the universe as pathways and as you make a choice, it, it splits and you have all these different potential realities, like maybe we jumped onto another reality. And so we have false memories of things that happen. So I'm going to go over some examples, not just of the Mandela thing, but of others. Do you, Christina, do you remember him dying in prison or for him or for you? Did he get out of prison alive? Because to me, he he did not die in prison. I don't have that memory. I have both. I okay. actually have both. I always used to, because in Atlanta, in Piedmont Park, there was a Nelson. I don't know if it's actually still there. There was a, when I was growing up, there was a statue and there was an art installation about Nelson Mandela. And I remember seeing a yellow ribbon on it, which I feel like meant that he had died. Like I remember seeing it both ways because I remember hearing it. I remember also not being it. it was one of those weird situations, but I feel like it's, yeah, it, I know and I have reference for the fact that he didn't die. Right. So, but I like vaguely remember something, hearing something about he dies. So that one in particular was like a weird one for me. Cause I was like, which one was it? I can't actually remember which childhood I was in, in which dimension. But yes, what are the other ones? What are some other ones? Okay, one is Luke, I am your father. If you saw Star Wars more recently, he never said, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. Which okay? is just fucking like my husband's name is Luke. And literally that is what everybody says. Everybody says, Luke, I am your father. Like, okay. like that's what he's been told his entire life right? Like he is a firsthand witness to the fact that it was at one point, Luke, I am your father. It's, it's crazy. Like I remember when I rewatched Star Wars a couple of years ago and it was like, no, I am your father. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like we've said Luke and I'm married to a Luke who would know. <laughs> okay. Another one is mirror, mirror on the wall in Snow Wife and the Seven Dwarfs. The bad witch looks in the mirror and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? But the line is actually magic mirror on the wall. I remember both. I remember rewatching it as both. Like I remember I rewatched it with my kids and I was like, I don't Oh, I guess it's magic mirror. I always thought it was mirror, mirror. So then again, I do know that Disney actually changes stuff a lot. Like they... 
they'll go back and re-edit video versions and like different editions. They'll basically like almost like a book, they'll reprint different editions and like fix stuff. But I don't think you can find a version that says mirror, mirror. Okay. Another one is Oscar Mayer. I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. That's that brand. So some people remember it as Oscar Mayer, M-E-Y-E-R, but it's actually M-A-Y-E-R. I remember it as M-E-Y-E-R. Me too. Okay. Another one is the location of New Zealand. Where is New Zealand in relation to Australia? If you look at a map, you'll see that it is southeast of the country. However, there are many people who claim that it was never southeast. It has always been northeast. Northeast? I'm not in that dimension. I I would have remember it. I would falsely remember it being just directly east of, but I I mean, having lived there, I like know it's northeast or southeast of it, but wow. Okay. That's Another one is yeah. the 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 Berestein Bears. Remember the Berestein Bears book that we read as kids? Some people remember it spelled Berestein, like S-T-A-I-N, and others remember it as Berenstein Bears, B-E-R-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. Yeah. E instead of A. And there's this amazing TikTok video. And I don't know if it's a deep fake or regular fake, but it's the coolest thing. He's like, I swear, guys, I have a room in my, in my, I have an interdimensional room and he he holds up a Berenstain Bears book and he like, in one room it's Berenstain Bears. And then he like pushes it through to the other one and you can literally see the A turn to an E. It's like the coolest video. It's just like a really fun video to watch to be like, oh, wouldn't that be amazing if that was real? Mm. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I've seen that and it's trippy. Okay. Another one is Pikachu. People report that Pikachu, Pikachu has a black tip tail, but in reality, the character has always had a fully yellow tail. I don't watch Pikachu, so I wouldn't know. And then Mickey Mouse, a lot of people misremember him as wearing suspenders, but he does not. I remember him wearing suspenders and like snapping them. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay, another another two that are more recent is the Sally Field Oscar speech when she says, you like me. You really, really like me. Yes. A- apparently, she only said, you really like me. Yeah, which is just crazy because there's another I, version. There's a SNL skit that has her saying, you like me. You really, really like me. Like there's an SNL skit that has like it was like one part of it changed, but the other part of it didn't. My one of my thoughts is that the SNL sketch like distorted the reality one. And we remember the SNL sketch better than the reality one. But like there's weird evidence for these things as to why it could like have a mass distortion of a memory. Right. And then another one is Bob Barker. A lot of people remember that Bob Barker died and he has not died or he just died. I forgot. But he's still alive. Oh, he's still alive. So a lot of people remember Bob Barker dying. Yeah. I think some people think that they can explain that one away with Alex Trebek, that they mistook Bob Barker's retirement and then Alex Trebek's death. But like, I remember Bob Barker dying. And here's another example, which is not necessarily Mandela effect because it doesn't affect a lot of people. But there's a story about this man who fell and hit his head and he wandered down this path and he ended up meeting up with this guy. And when he went back to his house, there he was playing Beatles music that the guy had never heard. I'm going to read you a little excerpt. He said, in two, on September 9th, 2009, I experienced something that I still have trouble believing happened to me. I came into the possession of a cassette tape containing a Beatles album that was never released. And he goes on to tell the story of the tape, which is basically when he hit his head, he believes he fell into an alternative universe where he met up with a man who said the Beatles never broke up. What are you talking about? Somehow they were talking about the Beatles. And he had a cassette tape that said everyday chemistry. And it was about 
seven songs of the Beatles that this man had never heard before because in this alternative universe, the Beatles never broke up. So when the man went to go to the bathroom, he took the, the cassette tape with him. And then he went back to the place that he hit his head. He laid back down. I, I might be, par I'm paraphrasing the story. I can't remember. You can find it more on the Beatles never broke up.com. And he is back in our reality here. And he has a copy of this tape that he was able to pull in from this other dimension. And it's a whole bunch of Beatles songs. And because there's no copyright to this music, because it technically never exists in this dimension, we can actually play an excerpt of it right here, which we're going to do for a minute. Five, And then a lot of people say that this music is not original, that it's been taken from like fusions of other songs. I, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, you can hear some of their solo work. Like there's a song in there that sounds exactly like All Things Must Pass from George Harrison. And then there's definitely that Paul McCartney, that first track has a song that he actually wrote for, I don't think it was for Wings. It was maybe for like a solo album, but still right. it's, it's still pretty cool. It's 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 probably fiction. Like it's probably not true. This This whole Beatles never broke up thing. But it's it's a really funny and interesting thing that this guy came up with. I do, however, have a clip of someone who claims of having fallen into a totally different reality. Would you let me tell that story first? Or would you like me to tell you a little bit about explanations for Mandela effects? Tell me explanations. Okay. So there are five possible explanations for Mandela effects, according to an article, which I'm going to link in the show notes, which is written by Aaron Kunsick. And the five reasons are one is false memories. So the author says that memory is not infallible, it's unreliable, and that masses of us just remember things incorrectly. All right. The second explanation is confabulation, which involves when your brain fills in gaps for missing memories to make more sense of them. It's not necessarily lying, but remembering details that never happened. And so the idea here is that a large percentage of us are confabulating memories that we just don't remember, or it just made sense when, you know, Nelson Mandela wasn't in the news. We forgot that he was in prison. We all said, oh, we must have died. You know, I mean, something like that. Yeah. But like, yeah. Okay. So what, real quick. The Tinkerbell, do you remember the Disney intro where Tinkerbell came and like dotted the eye? Yeah. Yeah, that didn't exist. 
It's literally never been. Okay. That's really weird. (laughs) All right. The third explanation is misleading post-event information. Information that you learn after an event can happen can change your memory of the event. This includes subtle information. It helps to explain why eyewitness testimony can be unreliable. I think my dad told me about how when he was in law school. or I mean, Your dad was in law school? I mean, wow. Is that like a father wound healed? Does it make sense that he would have gone into like law because his parents wanted him to? Oh, yeah. It was a total like. Jewish son thing probably, but I'm so glad he didn't go to law school. All right. So I, I digress. I digress. Your your father was in law school. So I think he told me the story or I saw it on a TV show. And then again, confabulation. I I think my dad told me the story. I don't know who, but it was like someone ran in a student from a previous class runs in, grabs the teacher's purse or someone's purse and runs out and everyone has to give an eyewitness testimony. And then they have the student really walk in and it like, no one was right. Everyone's like wearing a blue shirt who's wearing a red shirt, you know, he's doing this, not at all. So it was just showing how you can't really rely on eyewitness testimony. So there's that. Okay. So then you have priming. This is the fourth potential explanation. It describes the factors leading up to event that affect our perception of it, also called suggestibility and presupposition. Priming is a difference between asking how short a person is versus how tall a person is or saying, did you see the black car? You know, it makes subtle suggestions that will influence responses and memory. Therefore, our brain is vulnerable and we're like, hey, did you remember such and such? And we were like, oh, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. You know who is so good at this and who I learned priming from originally was Marshall Thurber, who's a friend of, he's the father of Rowan Marshall Thurber, who is the director of Dodgeball and Red Notice and a bunch of movies. Oh, but yeah. It's Rawson. Rawson. Thank you. Sorry, Rawson. But Marshall Thurber, he worked with Deming. He worked with Buckminster Fuller. Like he, he was, you know, had some really, really interesting stuff going on in his life, but he told me about priming his, he was a lawyer and he did a lot of business deals. And he also did some civil rights law back in the sixties. And he was like, you know, kind of working that whole thing. And he told me the story about how he had to do this deal. And this deal was like really, really difficult with these really difficult people. And he walked into the meeting that was supposed to be this really like high pressure negotiation or, or settlement or something along those lines. And he walked in with ice cream and he was like, I'm so sorry. I just bought this ice cream. Like he totally like faked it and was like, I'm so sorry. I just bought this ice cream. Can you help me eat some of it? And like, that's how he started the meeting with everybody. Right. So this meeting that was supposed to be like everybody's heads against each other, his prime was to bring an ice cream and like claim that he accidentally brought it in and that he needed everybody to eat it. And it like completely changed the entire nature of it because he had primed people to be like, you know, he had kind of used all the, the key primes of, of influencing people to be able to do it, which I was like, I always remember that. Like, um, how does that prime? Because he made them all be in a mood of like getting along? It's or? probably maybe a slightly different thing other than priming. Because I feel like the examples you gave are better. Whereas like, like some of the primes I accidentally go into because of my verbose open throat nonsense neurodivergence whatever is i'll be like so i'm gonna tell you some really bad news and then it's not actually bad news so you know like something along those lines like even being that overt about priming somebody like never prime somebody to be like i'm about to tell you really bad news i'm gonna be like hey i really want to tell you something and then if you start going like like i would like oh you might be concerned about this then you're priming somebody in the very very bad way like you need to like be more subtle about it anyway Those are obvious, I guess. They're not obvious for me. They weren't. (laughs) 
All right. What's All else right. besides priming? Okay. And then the last one is dun, 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 alternative realities. One theory originates from quantum physics relates to the idea that rather than one timeline of event, alternative realities are taking place within our timeline. And in theory, this would result in groups of people having similar memories because we were on similar timelines. And it doesn't sound that unrealistic. I believe that alternative realities could be the reason behind this. For example, our friend Stephanie Joplin, who was on the podcast, we were on her podcast. At one point, I swear she was verified on Instagram, meaning she had that little blue check mark. And that was my reasoning for why she got a, a certain guest on her show that I really wanted to get on our show. And I was like, oh, well, it's because she's verified. Well, fast forward eight months or whatever, she's never been fair verified, but I swear she was verified in that reality. Isn't that weird? Isn't you, that weird? You remember her being verified, right? I do remember her being verified. Yeah. Yeah. So I, there, and then there's two more possibilities besides alternative realities, which I guess are kind of add-ons to alternative realities. Obviously there's like a huge thing about the large Hadron Collider, the LHC which is, you know, everyone believes that every single time they turn on the Large Hadron Collider, it basically destroys the universe. And therefore, everybody has to move into a different dimension because they don't want us to do this, which leads into the multi-lives theory. Wait, what do you mean everyone believes? Like, I've never even heard of this. How is everyone uh, no, no, no. believing this? Did I say everyone believes? You said, of course, because everyone believes. <laughs> and I'm like, what this... is? what do you mean? <laughs> Okay. I'm speaking hyperbolically. All right. <laughs> okay. Probably a very, very small subset of TikTok that I sometimes find myself in the corner of believe. And, and I don't actually don't believe this myself. So I just think it's an interesting thing. They think that the large hydrogen collider either destroys the universe or something happens when they turn it on that basically pushes us all into a different life, which is very similar to the multi-lives theory, which is the idea that we actually die all the time. Right. So every single time we think that we come to a near death experience, we're actually did die and we skew into a different timeline. Right. So that basically you're just like continually skewing into different timelines. And if something like the Large Hadron Collider were to cause the end of the universe or the end of our world as we knew it, then we would all get pushed into another dimension. Like we'd all get pushed into another timeline and those things would just be a little bit different. Right. Along those lines. And it's uh, it's just an interesting it's an interesting possibility. Like I would wonder if there have been near death experiences for all the people who remember large events differently, right? Because maybe they actually all lived in a parallel dimension and everybody died at a different time. And they may not have died at the same time, but you know, like they're remembering the past dimension and, and it's like really close to ours and you're kind of constantly skewing back and forth between these dimensions. So. Well, that ties in really well with the thing I was going to read. Is it? Okay which comes from Reddit. And it was a post written by someone that says, this is the title. I fell off a cliff. And when I was rescued, my entire reality was different. Can awesome. I read the whole thing? Please. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to read the whole thing, everybody. So sit back, put your feet up. Here we go. In February, 2020, I was snowmobiling for the first time. My boyfriend at the time was driving all day and finally let me drive at the end of the trip. We had been dating for two months and this was our first trip together. I'm going around the last bend and I accidentally floor the snowmobile instead of pushing the brake and I go flying off a cliff, end up 50 feet down. The snowmobile is on top of me, upside down, still running with the bottom part spinning. My helmet has flown off and my head is one inch from a tree. I am terrified. 
My boyfriend managed to roll off the back at the last minute and is trying to save me, but the snow is really deep and he's having a hard time getting down the steep hill. My legs are fully submerged in snow with a snowmobile on top, and I'm not sure if I'm paralyzed. He calls for help and all these men run down to save me. When they finally pull me out, I can stand, and it's the happiest moment of my life. I'm not paralyzed. I don't even have a scratch on me. Do I have a concussion? Maybe. Hard to say. The snowmobile also miraculously has minimal damage, only like a plastic windshield part is cracked. In hindsight, this moment is where everything changed for me. But you have to understand, I didn't piece this together and come to this realization until months later. And these are the differences. There was suddenly a pandemic. Everything was shut down within a few days. In my old timeline, there was a virus going around, but it only had impacted a few people and was similar to norovirus or flu, not being big enough to be worried about. I had a different job. At the time, I chalked it up to the pandemic. We were on the trip because I was about to start a new job. I knew what the role entailed. I was going to start the Monday after, but after the crash, I couldn't get a hold of my new boss for nine months. And he finally told me I got the job in November, even though I had accepted it in February in her previous reality, right? He also comments how I've never been into the office when he gave me a tour in January of 2020 and we spent the day together. The role I'm in is completely different from the papers I signed. My loving, awesome boyfriend was physically abusive for the first time that night. He got blacked out and attacked me, choking me. He was crying the next day and nothing like this had ever happened before. I thought he was traumatized from the crash and let it go. That was another thing that was different. I would have never let that go before. I came from a loving childhood where my dad was my best friend always. I would have never put up with that before the crash and was shocked I did. In the old timeline, I was on a low dose of Effexor, Xanax, and blood pressure medication. I don't take any medication at all on this timeline. Over the next year, a series of weird things that don't make any sense kept happening to the point I started to feel suspicious. I, all of a sudden, have an incurable disease I didn't have before. I'm in pictures I have no idea what the context is. I'm wearing clothes I don't own anymore. My friends have memories of me I don't share, and I'm getting more and more depressed. Boyfriend keeps physically abusing me, and I can't get out of it. I have no will to save myself. I just keep thinking, this can't be my life. This isn't my life. It just felt like I wasn't supposed to be here, and I finally look at Reddit and realize that I died in this snowmobile crash and this is an alternative timeline i'm in i'm Uh, getting chills i'm getting uh, chills which i feel like means it's real i start to just agree with friends when they say remember when you said this and that we went here and did this but i have no recollection my cat scans are normal at this point after visiting the er to be honest i wasn't the most observant person to begin with a new couch could be in the living room for days and i wouldn't notice so when all this stores and shops are different in one area of town i don't know if that was always there or new I finally work up the nerve to tell my sister, who was surprisingly supportive. She asked what else is different. There was a song in this other timeline. It was a very popular Shania Twain or Sheryl Crow type song. Anyone would know it. I sing it to her with lyrics and tell her we always used to listen to it growing up, and she has no recollection of it. I type the words into Google, and the song doesn't exist here. The longer I'm in this timeline, the more I forget the words and melody of the old song. Side note, I feel like she should have like written the song, you know, like in that oh, one yeah. movie where the guy, the Beatles never existed and he makes himself famous with the Beatles songs. I Anyways. love yesterday. I love that. Yeah, I, yesterday. Had a, I had a similar dream about Elvis and I wanted to turn it into a short story, but they did it with yesterday because apparently they did it with the Beatles. So there you go. Oh my gosh. Okay. Also, there was no iPhone phone 13 in the other timeline because Steve Jobs was superstitious there and it was supposed to go from iPhone 12 to 14. I noticed little glitches like that that are stupid and don't matter. 
How do I feel about it? I've accepted my new reality. I feel bad for my sister and parents in the old timeline that they're dealing with my death in a freak snowmobile accident, but there's nothing I can do. Trying to find them again would be like trying to walk from Canada to Australia with no map, impossible and a waste of time. I'm just making my reality the best I can now. It's clearly for some reason, it wasn't my time to die. I mean, to the point of going to an afterlife if there is one. So I should do something important if I can. I always, I was always agnostic before this, but didn't believe in different timelines. I thought movies like the butterfly effect and run Lola run were dumb concept. Now I don't rule anything out ever. Edit updates. A few people are asking me questions and I'll answer the best I can first. No, I'm not with that guy anymore. He is dumped and blocked to answer questions about the iPhone. Here's my comment to another user jobs died in 2011 in the old timeline as well, but he had planned out the designs for the phones way past when he died because he knew he had cancer. He had an elaborate release plan on the phones in the future. Did he not have that here? I don't know. And yes, he designed them so that the iPhone 13 would be skipped because he was superstitious. Have I been to therapy? Yes. I've been to multiple therapists, psychiatrists, counselors. I can't find any evidence of the Effexor prescription I had, and I don't know who would have prescribed it. The bottles are just simply gone. I don't rule out that I bumped my head and some bad shit happened to the world after that. This is just my theory. I see a lot of people saying, I want to believe you, but dot, dot, dot. I mean, really, that's your choice. Doesn't impact me either way. Just wanted to share my story. Uh, it's so good. And you know, it brings up this bit of anxiety that I have sometimes where I've heard stories of multidimensional stories of where people live their entire lives and they have kids and they go to sleep one night and they wake up and they go back in time 20 years and they don't have kids and they don't have anything. It's like, it's like they went and lived their whole life and then they had some sort of reset button and it just goes back. And all of a sudden they find themselves as like a 12 year old girl, but they have like all the remembrance of having kids or they wake up one day and their kids are gone, right? That they, that they just like somehow magically went to another timeline where they don't have kids. And I have, I have moments of anxiety about that. Cause it's like, how would you even go back to find them? You know, like I feel like both you and I experience multidimensional reality. And if we were to have a loss like that, it would just be it would be, I don't know how to, I, you know, I wouldn't know how to navigate it. Wow. Well, that's really scary. Well, there was another movie that I thought was written and directed by Britt Marling. Cause it's like in that vein, but I don't think it is. It was called the discovery. Did you see that? I don't think I saw that. No. It's very interesting. It's about all of the stuff that we're talking about. It has Robert Redford in it. And he's a scientist who is studying what happens to you when you die. And so he's like putting people into death, kind of like that movie from a long time ago. Flatliners. Oh, yeah. Flatliners. But when you go, when you die, guess where you go? To another Alternative dimension. dimensions. Yeah. Oh. You got to see that movie. Right. Well, and that's similar to the OA, right? Obviously in the OA, there are near death experiences, which allow you to see different dimensions. And if, and then obviously the OA is all about traveling through different dimensions using, using death. movement, right. Yeah. Or death or death as the medium to, to cross the, the divide. Right. But like being able to permanently travel included the, the, the positions, the amazing, oh yes. God, we love the OA so much guys in case we haven't mentioned it enough in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to compile a list in the show notes of different movies or shows that are all about alternative dimension hopping. All right, well, that's pretty much all I prepared for today. And I didn't really 
have, you know, a conclusion as to say, like, maybe there are alternative realities. Maybe there aren't. Maybe it's false memory. Maybe it isn't. But it's it sure is fun to believe it's alternative dimensions. I would agree. It's fun. And it's also, I don't know, like, you know, I've talked on the, on the podcast before about fodder dimensions and like the whole idea that if, you know, if, if your life is like a bell curve, right. And there are, you know, in the middle of that bell curve is where, you know, most of the good things happen, right. Kind of similar to everywhere, everywhere, every, everywhere, all, everyone, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Thank you. God damn it. Okay. Everything, everywhere, all at once, where the version of the main character that you're seeing and following in most of these things is like the worst of the worst. Like all of the worst things happened to her, right? Like she basically, that kept her, she was still in a body, but basically all of the choices that she made, none of them worked out, right? Whereas like, there's another, like almost every other version of her is like, you know, very accomplished or very happy or very whatever, right? Like it's only the version of her that just has failed over and over and over again, right? That that's kind of like a fodder dimension, right? It's like this idea that like, you know, you're stuck in a world that like everything goes wrong or there are terrible pandemics or there are zombies or whatever you want to call it, right? And we're trying to stay on the top of the bell curve. We're trying to stop, to, to stay where the most good things happen most of the time, you know, I mean, you could probably try and go to the good side, right? Where like everything good happens to you all the time, but staying on top of that bell curve, you know, staying at the top of like, Hey, things are going okay. I'm not having major losses. I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of able to navigate my, my world and the world that like I'm experiencing by kind of keeping an eye on my North star. Right. Which is like, you know, what we talk about with Robbie is like this idea that like the practices just like look and, and imagine the world you want to end up in. That's how you can kind of navigate dimensions um, in a more intention set, as opposed to like actually performing magic and moving directly to another timeline. And then you spoke about it previously, and I've been playing with that, is that you can kind of navigate from one dimension to another when you are three different things besides dying, I guess, yeah. besides near-death experiences, underwater, in an airplane, or in sleep. And I know like taking a shower or a bath is very therapeutic, or when you're sleeping and like one thing you could just say is like, Hey, when I wake up in the morning, I want to be in the most optimal dimension as possible. Let me go there. And I really believe that the 1% of us that do make it to the best of the best of the best alternative dimensions, realities are there because we navigated there. So you can't not get there without knowing how to get there, which is to say all the ones in your top 1% have probably recognized this and been like, I want to wake up in my best, most optimal dimension. Oh, thank That's you. That's my theory. I love that. And thank you for reminding me of something that I said previously, but I have no recollection of. Apparently it was another dimension. Yeah, no, I'm really bad at the, the airplane one. I can tell you that having, <laughs> having a cough, having come off an airline, I like, I really need to work on the airplane one, but the underwater one and the asleep one I'm working on more actively. Oh, well, I flew home to New Mexico for a long weekend last week. And I, in the airplane was like, I'm going to land in the best possible dimension ever. And I did. I had such a blast. Oh my gosh. Did you do it when you came home? No, I forgot. And I <laughs> came home to impetigo and dog diarrhea. So maybe I should have. I definitely didn't do it on the way home. I kind of knew it was going to be, I kept like, 
saying this is not going to be fun. This is not going to be fun to come back. And it was definitely like I was after 22 hours of after 20 hours of, of, of being in the of being awake and like flying and all these things like connecting flights from the UK, I, I had to drive home, which it was always I was already worried about. And then it started pissing down rain. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I actually ended up in the right dimension. Here. Yeah, I should have yeah. done it on the way home because I came home to a house full of basically staff a and a dog with, you know, major gastrointestinal issues. And I was sanitizing every waking hour for 72 hours. I'm not oh, kidding. That's so terrible. So, yes. And I came home to a broken window and a broken shower. That's right. I forgot about that. Okay. So tonight when I go to bed, I'm going to be very <laughs> careful and I'm going to wake up tomorrow in the best, most optimal dimension that I could possibly be on. Yeah. No, but like that you need to keep things stable in the sense of are you, you have to make a contingency and be like, I still have my house. I still have my kids. I still have my family. Like, you know, I still have these things have to stay stable, right? And navigate to the best dimension in which all of these things are stable, right? That they're all still like connected, right? And then mm -hmm. it works. All right. So now we're going to talk about feng shui. Let's do it. All right. Da, 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 da. All right. Everybody remember those feng shui crazy things at the end of the 90s? Gosh, I was a teenager, but I still remember them. Do you remember it? No, Mandela effect. No. <laughs> <laughs> when feng shui had its heyday, right? When like everybody was doing it and everybody was trying to like get the right furniture and it was like it, it had a moment. And I guess maybe I know that it had a moment because I became a feng shui practitioner when I stayed at, when I lived on the homestead with the, with a woman who was a feng shui expert, excuse me, she was a teacher and she had taught many, many students and she had basically built her whole property and like done a lot of different things based on the fact that she, feng, feng shui had found it's like heyday in the late nineties. And it was like the early part of the internet and she had an internet site. And so like all these people were able to find her. She had good feng shui in order to be able to teach feng shui and she like that's how like that's how she got the funding to basically do almost everything on her property that lasted for like 20 years after that but i learned from her and she learned from a practitioner master lin yu who was in the black sect was a very specific type of feng shui there are a lot of different types of feng shui but it's important to kind of recognize that i'm going to be describing the particular type of feng shui that i learned when I became a feng shui practitioner. I also recognize the fact that I need to give proper credit and due to the culture and all of the complexity of feng shui. And I recognize that there is probably more than I can express here in terms of the backgrounds of everything. And so I would really encourage you to go and listen to, and we will, I'll try and find some basically people who are who are Chinese, who are going to actually be able to explain probably a different level of feng shui than even I can understand. So you guys have different access to that. Yeah. All right. So feng shui is effectively the measurement and understanding of the flow of chi in a space. All right. It's kind of the best way of saying it that I can come up with. Basically it is the it's it's all about the the practice of of feng shui is about perceiving chi right and there are rules that you can learn on how to actually perceive chi 
And then you can kind of follow these rules when you're becoming a practitioner. You can say, okay, well, this room's here, this room's here, this room's here. And depending on the sect and the different specific type of feng shui that you are practicing, you are able to use those rules in order to be able to diagnose issues that need cures, right? So basically, where is the, st- the qi stagnant? Where are you losing qi? Where are, you know, where are there sections of your house that are missing? And all of those different things in order to be able to actually recognize where qi is happening. In addition to this, the particular type of feng shui that I looked at in particular combined the, the understanding of perceiving qi with the bagua. What's the bagua? The bagua is an octagon with a with a segment in the center. Feng shui is the understanding of the movement of chi in a space, and you combine that with the bag with the bagua. And the bagua is an octagon that has eight different sec- segments, and then it has a center segment, so it has nine different areas in which you are able to track the movement of chi and basically correlate it to different things in your life. So let me try to explain that in a different way. Okay, so. You start and you enter the Bagua at the career and life path. So that's basically the entrance point. Well, it's the water, it's a water gua and you're walking into this and that's kind of the first segment. And then if you go around clockwise from that bottom, you have career and life path. And then the next is you have seed of self-knowledge. The next one after that is the thunder gua, which is the roots, which is family roots and, and ancestry. Going around to the wind gua, you have wealth and opportunity. Going up to the fire, you have fame and recognition. Going from fire to earth, earth is the marriage and relationship gua. Going around to around three o'clock now, the lake gua is all about children and creativity. And then coming all the way around, you have the heaven gua, which is travel and helpful people. That center gua is all about health. Right. So that that center gua is kind of like the yin yang symbol that you can see in there. Like that's all about health. So those are the nine different sec, sec, segments of the bagua. The bagua has it basically can inform your space because every house has these nine guas. And every room has these nine guas. So basically, obviously, most houses are rectangular. There are some that are circular, but you can basically correlate all of these different areas in the house with the with their segment on the bagua. And by doing that, you can recognize what may be missing or maybe not. So for instance, give an example of my house. My house is a modular home. It is a trailer, depending on who you ask. (laughs) But if you ask me, I'm going to say it's a prefab home or a manufactured home. But anyway, so it's very rectangular, right? But it has an addition of a kitchen and a room on the back. And the addition of the room and the kitchen on the back basically take up almost the whole length of the house. But that corner in the back left, so when you walk in the front door, that back left corner is empty. There's nothing there. There's a There's a porch, but there's no inside space. And that is, that corresponds on the Bagua to my wealth gua, right? So that is the wealth area of my house and it's missing. I'm missing the wealth gua from my house in particular, right? So the Bagua comes from all of, basically it comes from the Tao and basically everything that you're looking at with, with feng shui, right? If you look at a bunch of different things that are happening in Chinese culture, and then you're seeing that the Bagua, like I remember that Luke actually, there's a martial art called Bagua as well, 
which basically uses the movement of energy out in a very similar way. But it is it comes from ancient Chinese tradition, the Bagua does. And all of the different guas are meant to encompass everything in life, right? So these nine areas, you got it covered, right? So like, and, and it's interesting because I've actually used it when I did my original podcast of Journey to a Happy Me. I did it with my feng shui teacher and we talked about my life and kind of happiness in relation to those nine guas. There are nine episodes in that in that series because we're talking about my the kind of life that I was experiencing with postpartum depression with those nine different guas. So it's kind of similar. Some people talk about in a non-traditional sense, they talk about like family, friends, fashion. What are the Fs? You you told me about that once, right? Yeah, that's coming from from Ula Life, O O L A Life. It's family, faith, friendship, finance, fun. I forgot the other two. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So, so more specifically, the Bagua is is a set of it says eight symbols, but the middle ones being the kind of health and the actually balance and yin yang. It comes from Taoist cosmology to represent the fundamental principles of reality, seen as a range of eight interrelated concepts. Each consists of three lines, and the lines are either broken or unbroken. So it's very similar to the I Ching. So this is this is what you can see is this is one aspect of Taoist cosmology. The other aspect is the I Ching, right? Because the I Ching has hexagrams, which are basically two trigrams put together. And each of these aspects has, are basically, there's eight trigrams that come into them that have broken and unbroken lines in them. And so I could get into all of the, all of Taoism right now, but I'm not, I'm going to kind of come back to feng shui because it's a, it's kind of like, so to give a, an, an analogous sort of situation, if you go into the Vedas, for instance, right? So there's a number of different Vedas that describe in, in Hinduism that describe everything there. So Ayurveda is the practice of, of, of health and the body, right? And then you have you also have different Vedic practices that are around architecture, which is very similar, basically the equivalent of feng shui. And there are a number of different Vedas that they basically describe different ways of being and different ways of, of kind of optimizing life for the energy flow in your life and making sure that you're living a balanced lifestyle. For instance, other things in Taoism besides feng shui is that you have Chinese traditional medicine and Chinese traditional medicine uses the five elements very similar to the way that feng shui is, which is, I'm not going to get into the five elements and the use in feng shui because we would be here all day. Um, but yeah, the five elements in this particular one being water, wood, fire, earth, and metal, right? So you can see it's a slightly different thing. And this is, and that's what you're also seeing in traditional Chinese medicine, as opposed to Ayurveda, when you compare the two of them. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of information that comes to this, but I'm going to kind of get down into to the nitty gritty of the practical stuff. But before I do that, I need to give everybody a request. Right now I'm wearing a red shirt, which is so very feng shui. Red is considered a very auspicious color and something that is brings a lot of energy and life into a specific area and helps chi to flow. So it's good that I'm wearing red. But one of the things that's also very true with feng shui is that it's very important. The exchange of knowledge is very important to be very intentional about in the sense that if I'm giving, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you guys about these different things. I'm going to get some specifics about each of these guas and kind of what you can do in your house and things along those lines. And so I ask that in exchange for this information so that I don't become karmically, that Anna and I don't become karmically attached to anything that's happening in your house. 
if you can either pray over us or leave us a review, those would both be great ways of kind of making sure that everything is 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 balanced out here and that we have a good exchange, which is not something you normally do in a podcast, but that's what I'm asking, right? And that's because according to feng shui, you need to have a trade. You need or- to have an, yeah, you need to have an exchange. You need to have an exchange. Otherwise you tie yourself so to the karma. Fairies. <laughs> yeah, right. You need to have exchange. Otherwise you basically tie yourself to the karma of the person that you're trying to help. Right. So if I'm, if I'm giving information and there isn't a proper exchange, then, and that's definitely, I found that true with actually other things. I pulled that into other aspects of my life. Like I oftentimes don't necessarily do, I will do some releases on people, but I'm always kind of in the back of my head. I'm always just like, Hmm, I need to, to make sure that there's some sort of exchange going on here. Otherwise, you know, it can kind of get into that unequal territory and like I lose chi effectively in that, in that exchange. All right. So what I'm going to do is I've explained to you guys kind of on the most very, very basic level, the different segments of the Bagua. So we're going to talk about the eight, basically the eight, the middle one being health. We're not going to necessarily talk about because that's the balance of all. I told you guys about the wealth gua in my house. So on a very basic level, wherever you walk in to the front door of your house represents the, the kind of front three areas, which are starting on the left is self-knowledge. The middle one is career and the right one is helpful people, right? So even if your main entryway is somewhere that's on the side of your house, it's wherever the main entryway is, wherever most people walk into your house. So Anna, on your house, for instance, your house would be like your front door, right? Even though you guys may walk into your garage, your front door represents that front area. So depending on where, if if your front door is located in the front center of your house, then you're walking into the career area. If it's, if you're walking, if your door's over to the left, then you're walking into the self-knowledge area. And if you, if it's over to the right, you're walking into the helpful people. And basically you can lay out your entire house based on that, that kind of understanding of that kind of like nine punnet grid sort of experience, right? And I will give in the show notes, I'll be sure to kind of give you guys a copy of the Bagua as well as like kind of an understanding of like where these, these nine squares sit in your house. So if you walk into my house, it's then mm-hmm. the helpful people corner, basically. Right. Cause it's over to the right, isn't it? Yeah. So what would that mean that you walk into my house and you feel like helpful or like, what does it mean? Oftentimes what we find, especially in houses in America is that the, the door either there's one of two things happening at a doorway. In addition to it being a doorway is that you all either have it, it's like inset Right. So like I had a house where the house that I live in had like two sides and then the the front door was like step back five feet from like the actual like front line of the house. The majority of the front line of the house was up here, was like in a straight line. And then five feet back was the front door because it had to have its like grand entrance. But that sat in the career gua and it basically bite a a bit a chunk out of the out of that area right so you'd need to do like a cure to be able to kind of restore that area to its full thing because the architecture of the house is very important for recognizing how like it's a reflection of your life and it's a way to cure your life so we'll get into that in a second but I just kind of wanted to get to the basics of okay orient yourself 
that those, you know, you're looking at your house, wherever your main entrance way is, you know, on the left is self-knowledge, career, and helpful people. Starting again from the left in the middle of your house is ancestors, health, and children and creativity, right? And then in that back left corner is wealth. Directly back in the center is fame and rep- recognition and reputation. And that back right corner is marriage and relationships, okay? So if you can look at your space, even if it's an apartment, I mean, there's all sorts of things. Like I can't say everything in this entire podcast, but if you can kind of look at it, you can see wherever your front door is in relation to everything else, you can see which of those first three areas you're going to be walking into and then kind of like orient things accordingly. So that as I go through these, you can kind of hear what I'm talking about. So I'm going to get a little bit more into the actual guas themselves and what they mean besides career and et cetera. Mm. All right. So the career gua is that center bottom one. And one of the things that I said before is that it's the water gua. So it's really important that when you have this career gua, the way to basically make it as strong as possible is to recognize that it is the water gua, which means that you don't want fiery things in this space. You know, it's the space where deep emotional and spiritual insight can be sought right? So like, for instance, like if you want to have that space be kind of like the entryway for that, if that isn't where your front door is, you can put a meditation place in there. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples of these guas in particular about what we're talking about, just to give you guys a reference. So when we talk about self-knowledge, when I first designed a house that I basically helped to, I basically took it to my feng shui expert teacher. And I was like, how does this look? I had a really big self-knowledge gua right? Because I had this little stick out. My house was like a perfect square, but the one area that was slightly bigger in that house was that it was the self-knowledge gua. And I kind of knew that when I did it, but I made it a bed. I made it nice and cozy so that it would be like a really good spot for meditation because I knew that that was a spot that I wanted to to use to contemplate and to kind of pull in the energy of self-knowledge. One of the things about the ancestor gua that's really good is a lot of people put pictures up for instance, of family members in that area, because it's like a really good area. There's a lot of good energy that can come into it. If you honor your ancestors in that kind of middle left quadrant in your house. So that's one thing that people do. And it's a way that you can kind of talk to the roots of things. Wealth and opportunity is a really interesting one because, and we're going to talk in a second about kind of like specific problems that people can see, especially in the wealth and the fame Guas in particular. For one example of of why this could go like, hey, I have really big problems with wealth. Look at the wealth gua of your house. Is there a drain? Is your kitchen in the back left house of your house? Is that part of your house missing? As I like kind of explained earlier, you know, is there is there something going on in there that makes it so that it's not kind of in its optimal place in terms of like. Are you actually, you know, and and we'll talk about a cure for drain here in a second, but like a drain is a perfect example, especially if there's like sewage, if there's a toilet in your back left corner, then there's a chance that your wealth and the kind of wind energy is in there that your money could be going down the drain, right? That you're not necessarily explaining it. So there's a lot of literal interpretations based on the locations in your house. The same thing with the fame and recognition. Fame and recognition is all about fire. So if you have a huge pool or if you have like a big bathtub, 
back there, or if you have something that has to do with water back there, you may be experiencing a dampening of your fame and reputation. And that you, you know, it's something that you would want to look at in terms of how do you like actually promote the fire? Like, I feel like you have a fireplace in your fame and recognition. It's the back left. You said it's the back middle. Oh yeah. We have fireplace. Yeah. But does it ever, do you ever turn it on? No, but we're getting it fixed. Oh, that's good. So after you get it fixed, see if your fame and reputation changes, right? It's a really, it's a really- They stop calling me a whore. And I do want to mention something too quickly here, because we're talking about fire. One of the really interesting things that you start to recognize if you choose to practice feng shui and you choose to do more than just listen to this podcast is that you become dousing with a crystal pendulum is a really good way to kind of figure out what's going on with a specific house in the movement of chi. Dowsing in particular, where you take a crystal pendulum and you let it swing and kind of tell you where things are going. It's very similar to muscle testing, but for a space. Dowsing is a really effective technique for being able to figure out if there's a problem with the house. It's another level of perceiving chi in which you're using a tool to help you perceive the chi. And one of the fascinating things about this is that if you're looking for the fire energy in a house, you could have a fireplace that's that's like hasn't been used in a hundred years, but it will still have the fire energy around it. So you can take your pendulum and you can be like, hey, I want to find the fire energy and it will start like swinging wildly. If you if you like know how to douse, it will start to swing wildly around an old fireplace that hasn't been used and lit in like hundreds of years. So put some candles in there. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Right. But it's really interesting. It's one of the reasons that that fire aspect is really important too, because one of the things that my teacher used to do is she never left her kettle on the stove with water in it. Right. Because it was bad feng shui practice to do that. Because if you did that, then you were dampening the fire of the stove. Like the oven itself has a massive fire. It's, it's like a cure in and of itself, right? It's really good energy to have in certain parts of the house. And if you leave water on it or next to it, then you're dampening that effect. You're basically quenching the fire of your house. Like either it's your hearth or your kitchen or the two main places you usually find fire. And then the next one is the marriage and relationship gua. And I, I love the story about this one so much that my teacher told me. She told me that because she used to do feng shui appointments all the time where she was. And she told me the story where she walked into a house of this couple who was like, they just had this amazing relationship, right? Like they were just like, they were such a steadfast couple and they had been married for like 40 years or something like that. And they were like still going strong. And she went into their house and she went back to their marriage to the back right of their, their house. And it was filled with salt and pepper shaker collection, right? Like, you know, like the salt and pepper always go together, right? You know, so it was like this weird thing that they just happened to have a salt and pepper. So you too can avoid years of a horrible marriage or divorce and simply get salt and pepper shakers put in your marriage gua. I know it sounds so ridiculous, but okay. well, I have a patient and him and his wife are madly loved. They've been married for like 30, 40 years. I don't know. Right. They're in their seventies, eighties. I love their relationship, but in their back right-hand corner of their house is the toilet. Hey everyone, quick correction. We actually found out that there is a furnace and not a toilet in the back right corner of this person's house. So, and let that inform the future conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so there's a need to recognize that they may have been putting a lot of energy into that relationship 
or that it's like, you know, that there's something that there could maybe be a cure that's necessary there. Cause that's the other interesting, I think before I kind of go on, I do want to speak about this is that feng shui is one of those things where it's like, which one is actually affecting which? Is it the mind that affects the space or is it the space that affects the mind? And the idea is that everything is a, is a, the way that I see it is that everything is a fractal, right? So space that exists within our minds and our emotional space, the the space, the energetic space of our whole bodies, right? Our emotional, mental, physical, and kind of the corresponding spiritual bodies, they, they have an architecture to them, right? In the same way that our house has an architecture. And so if you are experiencing, you know, a lot of marital problems and you're missing that part of your house, like the, the back right corner is like not there, right? Or there's something, you know, like I have a, my kitchen's in my back right corner, right? So it's like, it has the fire energy in it, but it also has the drains in it. You know, like, do you, is, you know, that kitchen is not maybe necessarily determining my marriage and the health of my marriage, but it could be reflecting a space, like the way that we designed it, the way that we've moved into the house, we've lived in the house for long enough, like maybe that's reflecting an interstate about our relationship. So you can use it as like a diagnostic for kind of figuring out things that are going in your life if you look in that space. And you can also use it as a way to affect your inner space, right? So when you start to see these cures, you can start to see that, oh man, like I just put a, a crystal globe in my wealth gua and like suddenly I got like a windfall right? Like suddenly I got something happening. So should I put a salt and pepper shaker in my marriage gua? You, you don't have to do a salt pepper shaker. You can do a number of different things, which we'll get to, but like, you never really know. It's, It's not like the salt and pepper shaker is, it's more reflective. Like in that case, it's like, it's more reflective of their relationship as opposed to affecting their relationship. Right. Cause it's like, it's like the reflection. It's like, which side does the mirror sit on? Like in that case, I feel like it's more a reflection of their environment, but there are definitely okay. things you can put in your marriage bois that will help. That. Like Eric brought me home roses yesterday. Like, should I go put that vase in the right hand, right corner? Yeah. That would be a really good idea. Right. Because- but then I can't see it. But then you can't see it, right? So then then you say, well, no, because it's going to be better off wherever I am. But you could put a fake plant into the back right corner because plants are a wonderful feng shui cure. Right? Even if they're, they're fake? That, even if they're fake. Yep. Wow. Yeah, exactly. All right. So next is creativity in children. And the creativity in children is kind of self-explanatory. It's that, that right middle, you know, like the, on the right-hand side in the middle is where you're seeing that. And then that last claw is travel and helpful people. This is the one that I'm always just like, I was so fucking bad about helpful people for the longest time. Like, I feel like it was not a thing in my life. And we had our, we had our hearth. We had like our wood burning stove and the house that we designed was in that helpful people gua. But it was, it was interesting because it was in that front right corner, but it was, there was also dead space over there. Like the way that we designed it in particular, there was just like, no one would go over there. Right. Cause it was like too close to the fireplace, but the fireplace basically left like a five or six foot gap between, cause this was like a cabin y'all. So it was like the fireplace and then the wall, there's like a five or six foot gap. And so we kept putting like sofas over there, but no one sat over there because when the fire was on, it was hotter than hell over there. 
And then when it wasn't on, it was just like, it did, it was just dead space. Like it was never something that was there. And I always thought that that was like a reflective of the helpful people that came into my life was at that time, there was just dead chi in the corner of my helpful people. So I often say that, you know, it's really a good idea. Like if you feel like you're doing stuff alone and that you don't really have that to like, look at that gua and say, where, where is it again? Like? You it's walk the, the front, front it's the front right corner. So your front door is at your helpful people gua. Oh yeah. Duh. We said that. Yeah. So I want to give you guys a couple of examples, kind of like I have so far, but not specifically for the guas. And then I'm going to go into the cures. So a couple of things to like looking at doing. One is that there's what's called the broken arrow, which is a really interesting thing in feng shui. It's basically when you have a corner of a room that is facing you. Okay. So these are, these are just like very practical things that are what considered wrong with a house, like what, like what would need curing. So a broken arrow is basically like anytime that you're, if you have like a house like mine, which, you know, actually, no, I, I have a fireplace in the middle of my main room, which is a really good thing for feng shui because it's like, it's, it's right. That fireplace, that hearth is like right in the center of the house and in Vedic architecture, actually, I can say that they always have a hearth in the middle of the house because it's always considered to be like highly beneficial to have that, like the heart, the hearth is directly in the middle of the house, but it has four broken arrows because it literally is a standalone fireplace that goes all the way up to the ceiling. So it has four corners that face outward. So if you are sleeping or sitting somewhere on a regular basis, like you don't want one of those things facing you because it's like, it, it basically cuts and, and gives you a more negative chi facing in the direction that you are. Another thing that's, that's really important is that where your house is located Cul-de-sacs are really fascinating things, right? Because cul-de-sacs are, you know, there's a, there's a really interesting movement of chi that goes onto it. But one of the things that you'll notice is that like the, the way that the, the cars go past a house kind of determines the feel of it. So have you ever, do you remember like looking for houses or have you ever seen a house or been in a house that's like at a T-junction, right? So we're literally like the, the headlights will go into the house. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you seen a house like that? Yeah. But I want to tell you something about cul-de-sacs when you're done. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. The chi that goes into that house is really, really harsh chi, right? So it's basically like, because all the, the houses want to go into it, like literally if they didn't stop, they would go straight through your front door. Like that's the worst you mean scenario. Cars. Cars. That's what I, that is what I meant. Cars. Yeah. The cars would go straight through the window, basically, if they were going that way. And that's kind of like indicative of what I'm talking about, right? In terms of like, it's really, really harsh chi. What were you going to say about cul-de-sacs? Okay. Well, I noticed a long time ago, I noticed that a high percentage of my patients, I do home visits for disabled people or post-surgical patients, right? Physical therapy, high, like an out of ordinary percentage of people lived on cul-de-sacs or dead ends. And I noticed that. And it was like flip, flipping me out. Like I wanted to get a spreadsheet and look at it. And I was like convinced that it had something to do with chi flow. And then I was like, wait a minute. No, it's simpler than that. People who live on dead ends don't like traffic. They don't like to drive. Therefore they want home visits. So it was more of them like, most likely this is a population of people who doesn't like to leave their house. But then I started paying attention to it. And I noticed that like, 
it was happening to people who didn't even choose therapy. Like they had to get surgery and their doctor prescribed it. So I just have been noticing it's, it's really weird. Cause I would say that like one in 10 of my patients live on cul-de-sacs or dead in roads. Whereas like, I'm pretty sure that that's not the normal population that one in 10 people live on dead ends. I feel like the norm- normal population is like one in a hundred live on a dead end. So 10% live on like 10% of your clients live. on. Yeah. Like I would say 2% of the world lives on dead ends or cul-de-sacs, but yet 10% of my patients do. That's really interesting. I don't know what the hell it means, but I've noticed it's like a real thing. So it's interesting you say that because that, so, so I didn't actually finish and thank you for making me finish to say cul-de-sac energy is really interesting, especially if you have a cul-de-sac, that's like a, a round one, right. It's because the energy kind of goes around in a circle but it doesn't necessarily know where it goes. So sometimes it'll go directly into the house that's on the end. And sometimes it'll just kind of get lost and it'll kind of circle around in that area. So that's like a really interesting kind of different configuration for what it is. Being on the edge of a curve as well, like especially if it's a really busy road, like if you're on the outer edge of that curve, kind of like where if, you know, where if you were like a race car, it would like be going up the hill. Like that's a really that that has a lot of aggressive chi in it as well. So in terms of the actual placement of where it is. And so that's just kind of some interesting things in terms of the placement of the house. So like how do we correct it? Like my street, I'm on a curve. And so I do get that harsh chi coming. So what could I do to offset it? Should I put a fountain in my lawn? A or fountain, like- plants, like you could put, you could put like hedges in there. You could put some sort of cure in your front yard. That's basically rebounding that aggressive chi that's coming into your house. So a couple of other things, look and see what areas are missing of your house, right? So like if you have two floors on your house, there's kind of a, a, there's a kind of different way of looking at it. Um, The layout of the first floor is going to be based on wherever that front door is. And if you have a front door, like if you have a main entryway that isn't your front door, like call a feng shui practitioner and they can help you change your front door, right? Because that, like, if it's not beneficial where it's currently located, you can get a feng shui practitioner to help you change that location. When you're working with the second floor, wherever the stairs come up is kind of the equivalent of the front door in that particular space. So like in your house, for instance, Anna, like your, your whole gua would basically be everything south of the, you know, everything in front of the stairs from when you walk up, right? Which means it leaves a lot of space, basically those first squaws, so to speak, like the, that self-knowledge and career and helpful people are all the things that are behind you on the stairs. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So that's where you may experience some kind of imbalances that are happening, especially with the second floor. And then the other thing that's good to know is that this, the stairs themselves can a lot of chi flows up and down stairs. And if your stairs don't have risers, which are the back things on the stair, right? So it's like you have the 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 tread and then you have a riser. If they don't have risers, then the chi is just going to like fall down through it. And it really needs a cure. Like it's not a good thing. It's why some people feel unsafe when they're walking up and down stairs that don't have risers. Another thing that I actually told one of my clients that I work with, they're, they, they're like, I hate this room. I can never feel good in this room. Like what's going on in this room. And I was like, what is behind that wall? He's like, oh, it's the elevator shaft. And I was like, well, fuck, no wonder you don't like that room because it's right next to the elevator shaft. So there's like the chi, if your room is next to an elevator shaft, then you're literally the chi will like fall off 
and just like completely drained. So there's a chance that you can feel like not your best, your, your, your health can feel like it's suffering because the chi is just falling down in this elevator shaft and you're not able to like restore it. Right. Because you want to try and retain the chi in your house. And there's certain, there's a lot of architectural choices that do not sustain that. One of the things that I, there's, there's so much in terms of like design of the house, but one of the things I want to just say a couple of a quick things in terms of the representation. I already told you guys about the five elements, right? Is that we have wood, fire, earth, metal, and wind. But there's also there's also a real consideration for balance and feng shui as to shapes. So basically shapes such as arches, triangles, straight lines, things along those lines all need to be balanced out in a space. As y'all know, the vast majority of all Western houses, for the most part, are very, very angular, right? Which is a very masculine, like young sort of feel to them, right? And so when you're when you're kind of like looking at the overall like balance of shapes in your house, it's really important to get those curves in there. It's really important to get arches if you can, like as much as possible that is like curved and that you're seeing representation of multiple different shapes and different types of shapes in order to restore that balance in your house as well. I want to talk to you guys quickly about some cures. Again, please remember to have a, you know, give us a prayer, give us a review, something along those lines if you choose to use any of this information. Okay, so a couple of really key tools that you can use in feng shui in order to be able to recognize and and identify when she is not flowing correctly or when you have kind of one of the problems that I mentioned before is mirrors. Mirrors direct and enable the flow of chi and they can be programmed to accomplish just about anything. They can draw in auspicious chi, they can expand an area. So you know how they put it in restaurants, they make it feel like the area is bigger. They can basically make it look like a bigger area and restore a gua that may have been gone, like that may not naturally exist in your architecture. They can reflect an image. They can move a reflection. They can they can basically project an image and they can allow chi to penetrate closed spaces. And it's also one of my favorite cures for when you have really shitty neighbors. Is you put the the mirror at the edge of your property, and you'll find that the energy changes when Ooh, you like outdoors. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? So just like a little, you know, like a little crappy mirror. You just put it at the edge of your property, at the facing the neighbor that you don't that you're having difficulties with. Like and a hand reflects, mirror. Yeah, hand mirror would work. It reflects their negative energy that they're pushing towards you back at them. Okay, I hope none of my neighbors listen to this show. I mentioned before crystals. Crystals are really useful cures for altering the flow of chi and adjusting, basically allowing you to like reflect, 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 and refract spiritual light, things along those lines, as well as help with visualizations and like bring a lot of really good energy to a space. It's like those spherical balls are like one of the best ways of, of kind of, of pulling a cure into a space lights, making sure that your space has correct lighting is really, really important. It increase, it's very uplifting and it will generally increase yang in an area. I know we haven't spoken about yin and yang, but having a proper balance of yin and yang is, is really important for specific spaces. So for instance, you don't want your bedroom to have lots of yang energy. You don't want it to have lots of masculine pointiness. The more soft, the more curves that you can have, the better, because you really want the yin energy to help you sleep, right? If you have hugely bright colors, like if you, you know, that you don't want to paint your, your room bright red, 
because if you do, you're you're pulling in that yang energy and you you want a yin space in your bedroom in particular. Also, another really good feng shui thing that I think is a really good thing to know is that you want to remove pictures of your children from your bedroom if you have children, right? Because or family or anybody, the only pictures that should exist are either artistic ones or ones of you and your partner, because otherwise it, the feng shui is that they're literally like looking at you while you're like intimate and things along those lines. So it's like really recommended in feng shui to not have anybody other than you or art in your, in your bedroom for that very reason, if you choose to have sex in your bedroom. Yeah. So other things, wind chimes and bells are very, very popular because they awaken and they clear the mind. They lift up low ceilings and oppressive overhanging eaves, and they can lift up weak and depressed chi, and they can improve one's fame and reputation. So if you want to improve your fame and reputation, put a wind chime in that back, that back center area of your house or outside because the lawn also has the Bagua on it. So you can put your lawn, you can do different cures on your lawn to represent those areas in your life. And then nature and music, recognizing that different weights have different types of energy. So one of the things that one of my favorite cures that I always tell people is like, if you want to avoid an audit from the government, don't put heavy things up high because it's like sources of authority are sitting up high and therefore you like don't want them to, to come into your life. Doing mis- a different color, having different whirling objects moves chi as well. Fountains are obviously a very important thing for feng shui. And so it's one of the kind of key things that I, I like to kind of talk to people about in terms of fixing drains. So drains. Well, what do you your, mean by drains? Like just a shower drain? Like a shower drain, a, a kitchen drain, things along those lines. So one of the things that people will sometimes put fountains in their bathrooms because it basically represents a cycling of water as opposed to a loss of water, right? So it's a good cure for that. One of the things that I absolutely love that I saw was a really amazing cure was that there was a picture and it was above the toilet and it was of a woman pouring water into like the bottom of the picture, but it looked like she was pouring the water into the toilet, right? Because that was the cure. The cure was to have an endless source of water that was basically going down and, and it was able to cure the drain of its like, you know, desire to, to like drain the wealth from the property, right? It was like a really, really interesting use of art to kind of be like, hey, we have an endless source of wealth that's going into this and like, did we the, don't have to worry about a limited amount. Did that change the person's money? Thing? I think in certain cases it has. I, in that particular case, I can't remember because it was an old cure. So sometimes cures become old and they don't have use anymore. And so you kind of have to like redo them. And that's one of the things that I've noticed as I, when I became a feng shui practitioner, I still, I was developing my psychic abilities and I started to just like check the chi in my rooms all the time. And so you'll find me constantly rearranging, which is probably ADHD as well. I'm constantly rearranging my rooms, right? I'm constantly rearranging like everything in it because I, because I feel it when the the chi starts to stagnate in a certain part of the room. And so I recognize that it's time to move on. And I like just the other day, two mornings ago, I woke up and my living room was like, I want to be rearranged. And it like showed me the new layout, which I never could have figured out before, right? Like I never would have figured that out because our our living room is such that it's like really, really difficult to find 
a good configuration and it like I literally woke up with a new configuration I was like cool all right the Faye and all the the Dave the Davis are telling me that the chi is stagnant in my living room right now and I need to change it and so you know it's kind of a one of those funky things fragrances works and then there are a lot of kind of different different things that basically bring interest and texture and to a space are going to help with the cures I would recommend, I'm going to put the name and contact information for my teacher. If you work with me, I can do feng shui cures because I am a practitioner, but I'm not necessarily an expert practitioner. So sometimes I do that with the people I work with, but not necessarily. Kind of some other really funny cures or interesting things that are like very specific. So ceiling fans that exist above a bed slice the chi. They slice your aura if it's directly above your bed or a frequent use area. So one of the things that she, that, that a cure for that is you can dot each blade with creative cycle colors. So green, red, yellow, white, black, one color per blade. And the color should turn clockwise as you look at them from the fan from below. And that's a cure for that, right? So there's a lot of really interesting, funky cures, especially if you get to someone who's like a very adept. Like you just put like a thumbprint worth of pain on it? Yeah. Like just like a little bit of like a sticker, maybe, you know, even those like stickers that you have is a really good way to like cut up that is to, is to alleviate from a ceiling fan. And, you know, one of the other things that bells are really, really popular for, for also having that space, another, a garage dominating house. I love this one. I'm reading this one directly from my textbook, a garage. So if you look at the road and the garage dominates the house, like it's like those two huge doors and you can't see the rest of the house. The results, this results in chi being sucked into a yin space. So garages are known as yin spaces because they're pretty much dead. They're just storage, right? Like there's nothing really going on in them. There's no life. There's no, there's no things going in there. So it's being sucked into a yin space and garages is something you really have to be aware of in a house. Do you have anything above your garage at your house, Anna? My bathroom and closet are above the garage. Okay. So that's not that bad. That's not bad. That's not you sleeping above. A total side note, when I was in New Mexico, did you know that the houses now have garages for RVs? I've never seen an RV garage before. They're huge. Yeah, they are huge. And I feel like it's really important because the seals on them go bad quickly. So like having them, they last for a lot longer if they're not in the sun. Oh, the RVs. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, the garages, they're just like enormous. They look like a giant, a giant's garage. That's so weird. I feel like in the South, we're not nearly that advanced and we just have metal awning, you know, roofs over everything. That's, that's a really interesting thing. So if you have a garage dominating house, the result is the chi being sucked into a yin space. If you cannot see the road from the house, you will miss opportunities. Correct cures depend on your intuition and dousing. You might paint the garage interior red. A dominant garage may also mean that the owners travel more than desired. Use a mirror or baby moon hubcap, whatever that is, to reflect the garage back inward and draw the rest of the house outward. The mirror should be placed inside on the back wall of the garage facing the street, right? So basically that's another example of like pulling one type of energy into one space and recognizing that everything needs to be balanced. Another thing that's really useful is that I, it's like, I'm like coming up with all of my like, oh, I remember that cure. I do that cure all the time is I never put my back to the door. 
So right now I have my back to my back door, but like you never have your back to the main door that someone will walk into. And you always, when your bed, your bed, the head of your bed should allow you to see the doors in the room, even if it means that you have to like back yourself up to a window. Like it's best that you're facing, like when you wake up, you can see the drawers directly. Um, it's also the case in negotiations in terms of like, if you ever notice that there's like a lot of, of interesting play with who is in the position of authority, but if you are in an office, if you work in an office, it's really important to recognize that if someone is located higher up than you, which is Obviously, if you have a different, if you have multiple floors for your office, or if someone is like physically higher than you, so they have like an office chair that is higher than yours, they are going to have more power and influence over the decision. So like the physical placement of someone in the, in the space is going to be really important for that as well. So I could go on forever. If y'all are interested, I can, I can go on more, but as it is, I think that maybe y'all have some good starts. I did, but I feel like it's, I feel like I need to buy some wind chimes and some mirrors, <laughs> maybe even a fountain. I don't know. Get your pendulum, right? You have a, you have a pendulum, right? I you just, have... I muscle test. I'll just go around the house and muscle test. Go ahead. You go around the room and muscle test and see where the, the, where it needs a cure. I mean, you can but I have a ask. great thing. My husband started podcasting again and I can just be like, if you get the fireplace working again, it's going to be really good for your fame and recognition. And he'll be like on it tomorrow. That's amazing. That's see, that's a great idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the only thing I can think of in your house is that this is, you have a room on the back of your house and a porch on the back of your house, right? Yeah. Those are additions to fame and recognition for you. They aren't, they, cause like the, there's kind of, there's, I'll just do this as the last kind of thing is that there are like, if you were to have a perfect rectangle or circle, right? Like, so you have a perfect rectangle and you split it into nine boxes, right? Wherever's missing is obviously the gua that you're missing. But if you have something, if you have that perfect rectangle and then you have like, a little porch that comes off of it or something that just adds on to that. Yeah. If it adds on and it's the addition is less than half of the actual total length of the building, it just counts as an addition. Okay. Um, if it's more than half. So if it's like, like if the porch on the back of your house took up more space, then it would actually be an addition. And if it was, and then the space that would be missing is missing. Does that make sense? So it's like, like if this is, if, you know, you have a rectangle and that rectangle and the, this is the addition on the back of your house, that means that this is missing over here. I see. I see. Right. And so that's why, like, I think the one on your house, you may have something missing from your wealth qua, right? Because I feel like your porch and back room span the majority of your, of your back of, of your house, which means that that like your kitchen, that kind of corner is missing in the back of your house. But I do have a toaster oven in that far corner, which is heat. That's true. But it it's good for heat. Fire is good for certain things. Not for and, wealth? No, it's it's okay for wealth, but it's like, it's like better. What should I put in that corner instead? I'll move Like it. a plant or fountain or wind chimes even. Even if you put like wind chimes off the side of the house, you know what I mean? Outside like that the would, house. Outside the house, that would like be helpful. Okay, let me just do that. That's an yeah. easy cure. 
Yeah. And also you put, I feel like you put a garden really close to there on the outside of the house. I did actually. I did. Yeah. So, you know, you can do some interesting things there, but yeah, um, go, go grab some stuff and, and, and test yeah. around your house and see if you can't like my one contribution to feng yeah. shui. And I don't even know if it's feng shui or something else, but someone once told me that if you're single and you want a partner that you have to make your bed like you need to get a queen or a king size bed and you need to have bedside tables on both sides of the bed because it needs to be like fair. And that one person can't be like locked up against the wall. So they have to crawl into the bed. They have to both be able to equally, both people need to equally be able to approach the bed in a fair way, open way. And that that's somehow good for partnership feng shui. And I don't know if that's true or if I, I would just... definitely say that's true. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, yeah. I remember when I was single and I wanted to get married, I, I, I like, had one bedside table because it was just me. And then I heard that and I went and bought the matching bedside table. <laughs> and and then I centered the bed in the room. And then I met my husband the next year. So I don't know. Oh, that's so cool. I, you know, I would say that that there's something to that. I remember Laura Day said something about that too, didn't she? No, she about, said make room for the future you want or something. Yeah. And she would dance with her husband. Like she would have met, she would like dance by herself, but she was like, she was dancing with her husband, which I feel like is a would be like an awesome feng shui cure. The other thing that's really good to do for a partner, especially if you guys are combining households, is you have to, if, if someone is moving into your house, you have to give them space. Like you have to give them something. Like, I mean, everyone's like, I gave you a drawer. And that drawer is so important for feng shui. Like, you know, whatever it is, like you have to give someone space in which they can be as messy as they want. And you do not judge them at all whatsoever. If you don't have that space, then that person is basically halfway out the door because you never allowed them to come into the space. So it's important. It's important. Oh, so much. All right. Well, thanks everybody. It's a great episode. I know it took a lot to prepare. So thank you. Uh, yes. I'm saying thank you so that if I use anything today, I will not be cursed. <laughs> yeah. I used to have to hand red envelopes with money in it with two hands to my teacher to be totally um, wow. kosher, kosher. <laughs> or yeah, the so Chinese speak. version of kosher. Yeah, exactly. To be, to be all set. So yeah. So thanks everybody. Sorry. My voice is a little bit worse. Thanks, thanks everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of TSF. Would you like to do a favor for those who may be similar to you or in the same situation? Then leave us a review on iTunes because that's how people can find us. We really appreciate it and we appreciate you. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, 
Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.